Right. Um, today I'm going to speak a little bit about overcoming temptation and uh, what temptation is. Uh, so many times, you know, we've got a, we, we get the idea that we get tempted to sin. We get tempted to, uh, to lie, or we get tempted to uh, cheat with our money, or we get tempted to, um, you know, commit some kind of a sin. But temptation doesn't work like that. Um, I don't believe any person was ever tempted to commit a sin. Like stealing or lying or anything like that. And the mindset that we've got is, I get tempted to do these things and now I want to stop that temptation. And I want to feel, I want to resist temptation. And then I see temptation as towards this thing that I do. But the Bible says, and we're going to read those verses in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that there's only one temptation. There's a common temptation that everybody gets tempted with, and there is an answer for that temptation. Uh, the temptation of, I get tempted to lie, or I get tempted to steal, or I get tempted to do this, or whatever the thing is in your life, I get tempted to get angry, or lose my temper, or to think bad. It is humanly impossible to actually resist that. That's why Jesus said, if you, even have, if, if you just think about it, you've already done it. To show to you the, the impossibility of man resisting that. Now, I do believe, you know, that there's some kind of a way that we, 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 we force ourselves maybe not to lose our temper. And what you do is, you will bite the lip and be angry and try and force yourself not to show that. But I don't believe that is the kind of life that God intended for us. God intended for us a life of absolute freedom, yeah. where we can really be free. And as long as we sit with this thing of, I resist temptation by actually using willpower to live another kind of a life that just looks better in this area, you know, and I haven't committed the very deed, but my whole desire was for it, you know, it's, it's not a victorious life. He's come to give us a victorious life. Amen. And that is supposed to be effortless. And I think with the wrong understanding about temptation, and oh, let me put it this way, when we get a better understanding about how temptation works, we will find more freedom in different areas of our life. Uh, so I want to go and look at some verses uh, in the Bible about temptation and how temptation works. Now let's go to Galatians 5.19. Galatians 5.19. The enemy is, you know, we always say, you know, the devil wants to tempt me with doing this, or the devil wants to tempt me with doing that. He doesn't do that. His plan and his strategy is not to tempt you to do something wrong in the connection of sins. Okay? The first thing that we must ask ourselves is, can a Christian sin? Or can a Christian have the fruit of the flesh in his life? And this I basically say not just for the congregation here, but for people on the web. Because there's this thing where people say that a Christian cannot have the fruit of the flesh or sins. The Bible uses, Paul in his writing, uses sins um, and the fruit of the flesh interchangeably many times. So just for a lack of um, just understanding everything in its true context, we're going to just use sins like, for instance, uh, outburst of wrath, lying, stealing, we're going to read them now. We're going to use that, we're not going to use the word sins, but we're going to use it, the word the fruit of the flesh. 
that is not sins, let, let's call it the fruit of the flesh. Can a Christian have the fruit of the flesh in his life? Obviously. Obviously. A Christian can have the fruit of the flesh. Sometimes it frustrates me so much when I talk about sins, and, and I, I write it somewhere, I preach it somewhere, and then people, somebody on Facebook or, or, or they will write me an email and say, Sins, what do you mean Jesus took away the sin of the world? Yes, Jesus did take away the sin of the world. There's nothing between me and God at all. There's nothing. But there's still things in our life that can destroy your life. You know, I know people that they like to lie. And why they do it, there's a reason why they do it, but they will always exaggerate completely or just lie. And their whole life is, they don't have to lie, but they will lie. And you know what? You can't have a relationship with that person. And within a year or two, everybody knows he's the liar. And nobody takes him serious at all. And there's a thing over his life. And he is not experiencing God's quality of life in this world. And God wants you to experience His quality of life. The difference between grace and law is this. Under law, we said, well, I will sit with a desire to do it, but I'll force myself not to do it. Under grace, we'll have Christ being born in us, free from our effort. Amen. And He will live in us. That's the whole, that's the whole thing. We're not trying to fulfill the law. Um, we're having God's quality of life in us. Amen. So, yes, a Christian can have sins or things that can destroy his life or the fruit of the flesh in his life, given that he is in the flesh. Now, under the old system of works righteousness, being in the flesh was defined completely wrong. Being in the flesh was defined as you've committed a sin. I remember when I came late, late for Bible school one time, you know, I, I was so, um, I think I've mentioned one, one time on one of my messages, so overworked, uh, and I wouldn't even say overworked, my mind is just too active. I couldn't go to bed, you know, at night. I couldn't sleep properly. I never had a proper rest because my mind would, not because I'm stressed, I will just think of things, you know, of the ministry and how are we going to build this, how are we going to do that, and, and, and how, how am I going to win the world for Jesus? kind of a thing. And my mind would just go on these things. If I would stress about, say, money or whatever, I, I couldn't sleep. You know, my mind would just go all the time. And um, because I couldn't sleep, I went to one of my friends, he's a doctor, and I said to him, man, don't you have a sleeping pill for me? So he gave me a, a, a sleeping tablet, and that thing, I've never had one all my life, that thing knocked me out that I came late for Bible school. And I wasn't that late, I was like, say, 20 minutes late. I came in there, and the pastor said to me, this is terrible, and what da 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 and he just went off. I said to him, I overslept. I should have had a better lie, you know. <laughs> then, he, then I wouldn't have been in so much trouble. But anyway, so I said, I overslept. And uh, then he said to me, but this is absolutely wrong. And so I said to him, there's no condemnation for me. I'm not going to be condemned by you just putting this condemnation on me. Um, then he said to me, yes, for those who don't walk after the flesh, but after the spirit. You are in the flesh because you're late. <laughs> so there is condemnation for you. Both of us didn't really understand that verse very well. But anyway, so, <laughs> so, so the context of, I mean, the, the whole thing is, um, you know, can, and, and we thought like, if I'm late, I'm in the flesh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I said to somebody, uh, and what caused me to be in the flesh was the wrong deed. Yeah. No. 
The wrong deed does not make if you're in the flesh or not. What you believe declares if you're in the flesh or not. And then what you believe puts you in a place where the, the, the fruit of the flesh manifests. We're not tempted to lie. Lying is what we are enslaved to. We are tempted to get into works righteousness. And that is basically the only temptation that there is. There is no other temptation. It's like if you want somebody, somebody's life to be destroyed, it's like, um, say, say you want to kill somebody. You don't have to force him to stop to breathe. You just give him poison. And the poison will stop his breathing. The poison will stop his heart beating. The poison will uh, 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 stop his intestines to work properly. And he will die. You don't have to go through all those pro- th- that whole thing. You can just shoot the guy. You know, when you shoot the guy, the bullet does everything. In the very same way, the enemy doesn't try to tempt you with something that's tailor-made to destroy you. What's tailor-made to destroy you is inside a human already. And he just needs to get you to a place where this can be activated. Okay? And that's where the temptation thing comes in. So, we're going to read second, uh, uh, just go to um, Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, and we we read verse 19. And we, we look at the fruit of the flesh here. It says, Now the works of the flesh... Or the fruit of the flesh are manifest, which, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, I don't even know what it means, emulation, wrath, strife, sedition, heresy, envy, murder, drunkenness, reveling, revelings, and such like, of the which I told you before, as I have told you in the past times. So, what he says here, he says, look at all these things. Envy, fighting, outburst of wrath, all those kind of things are a fruit of the flesh. Now, what is, let's define sin. The Bible clearly says in John 16 that sin is not to believe in the gospel. That is sin. Okay? Then the sins or the fruit of the sin that manifests in your life are these. And then he names all these things. And this the Apostle Paul, the greatest grace preacher that there ever was, wrote and gave it to people, explaining to them, you know, uh, uh, how the gospel basically worked. We've taken this as a standard of living. We said, well, you know, we shouldn't be in idolatry, witchcraft, or whatever, because if we're in that, we are in the flesh, and if we're in the flesh, we have fallen from grace, and then we're going to go to hell. So just don't do this thing. No, no, no. The idea is not to stop to do that thing. The idea is to get to a place, or to get to the... To that which produces love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, meekness, temperance. When Paul wrote Galatians 5, the idea was not to get the people to live that way. The idea was for them to get them to believe the right thing and not fall from grace. Because once you fall from grace, you find that even, it doesn't matter how much you resist... That sin, you will never be able to stop it because that you are enslaved to it. You cannot stop a bad temper. I tell you now, 
You can never stop it. It is it's humanly impossible. If you struggle with lust, for instance, let me tell you something. You can stop your effort to try and resist lust. You will never be able to stop it. Never will you be able to stop it. If you've got a lying problem, you can ne- you, you don't, it's not humanly possible for you not to lie. You will lie, be it in a small or a big way. Somewhere, somehow, you're going to find that you lie. Somewhere, somehow, you're going to find that you sit with lust. Somewhere, somehow, you're going to find that you, you, you're angry without reason anymore. Somehow, somewhere, you will find that you, you, you think evil of people without reason. It's just, it comes so naturally. That is the fruit of, that, that's the enslavement. We think we, try to, we want to resist that. You cannot resist it. You cannot, and that's what the whole gospel is all about. You cannot resist those things. You are a slave of those things. Paul said, that which I don't want to do. Here comes Paul with one of the strongest willpowers that you can find, and he says, even I, Paul, when I want to resist this, I can't. I find that it makes me a slave, and it forces me to do it, to the point that I must say, it is not I who sin, but the sin that is in me. So, if the enemy wants to tempt you, how will he tempt you? He will tempt you to get to the place where you can be back in the system where you don't do what you want to do, but something else lives in you. He wants to get you back into the flesh. He wants the flesh system to manifest in your life. And we're going to just, this principle, we're going to look at it in Scripture just over and over. We can see in Galatians 3 verse 1, you can write this down, in Galatians 5 verse 19, um, even 2 Peter, let's go to 2 Peter 2 verse 11. 2 Peter 2 verses 11. It says, I've got, I, I must have written it down wrong. That's not the one. It must be one. Let me just see if it's one. <coughs> just make sure I've, I've written it down wrong now. We can just look at, let's go to Romans 8 then. Romans 8 verse 1. We can just easily see how this works. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation. Remember what I preached to you last time? No condemnation means condemned unto a life of destruction. So the fruit of these things that we find in our life that we don't want, it's not you that do it. It's something that you condemned unto when you believe the wrong thing. That's what the whole Bible is about. When you believe the wrong thing, you find that the end of that wrong belief is this life of absolute destruction. He says, Now there's no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. The context of the whole book of Romans is this. The context of the book of Romans uh, uh, is pointing out that the flesh is defining yourself as a Gentile or a Jew. I define myself as a Gentile or a Jew, and then I live according to the rule system of Gentile or Jew. 
When you define yourself as that, well, I'm a Jew, meaning I'm under these laws, or I'm a Gentile, I'm under these laws, and even greater, I'm talking about the fleshly law written on our hearts. It's, it's like, um, I said to my wife, these things go so deep, let me give a very practical explanation. Imagine your car, like my car's gearbox gave problems, so now I, I took the car in. Now, I can become so upset with the way they deal with me. So I phoned the guy, and this is what he, uh, he answered me rudely. My car is there for a week already. Now what happens is it's a very complicated problem, and then it was even more complex. You know these new cars with all the electronics and stuff, it's very difficult to get the little wire. So he uses like a microscope to, to see where the faults are, it's, it's very difficult. So it wasn't what he thought it was, so now where do you start? So I, I understand. But now if I just take the normal rule system of how a pers that person is supposed to treat me, you know, then I can easily find a reason to be very angry. Now what happened was, I phoned him on Friday. He had my car from Monday. So on Friday I phoned him. This is, he, he was very rude, rude to me. I phoned him the Friday afternoon again. He said to me, sorry that I shouted at you this morning, but I was just tense. And like Elena, the first thing Elena said, but you're the customer. You see, we now, I do believe that there are certain rules and regulations in this world, but to me, the best way for me to live is not by those rules. It's by, by what God tells me in my heart. What, what He puts in my heart. So in other words, if He, say for instance, He can't repair the thing. I, I don't feel I want to live a life, this is very technical, but I don't want to live a life where I say now, well, I'm not going to pay this guy because he didn't do the job. I want to say, I don't want to pay this guy because I feel not to pay him. Because if I must not pay him because he didn't do the job right, then I'm going to become so... Uh, uh, um, I'll, have, I'll have my flesh have so many reasons to be angry, to be upset, to have all those kind of fruit in my life, which then I'm at home up and down, angry. I tell my wife this, then my wife says, don't shout at me. Then I tell her, I'm not shouting at you, I'm just upset about this guy. Then she says to me, but why do, you, why do you shout at me? I say, I'm not shouting at you. And now we're starting to, to shout about, not shouting about. I know no one of you ever experienced something like that. So, so you know, you sit with that situation where... If you think differently about it and you're mindful of Christ and you're mindful that I can't live by that law even. I take him there, he, he's going to repair the car. And, I, and yes, will I pay him? Yes, I will pay him. You know, I'm not, not going to pay him. It's, if he doesn't repair the car, you know, I'm not going to say, well, I'm not going to pay him because he didn't repair the car. And look at how he treated me and look at this and look at that. I will find too many reasons to be angry and upset. The thing's going to captivate my mind. And as I worked this, this message out, I found that the temptation when it comes to the car, for instance, is not to be angry with the guy. The temptation is to completely think legalistic about this guy all the time. He hasn't done this, he hasn't done this. I don't even say you're not even allowed to take a guy to court. You can do all those things. All that I say is do it from the, do whatever you do from God working in you to will and to do. Yes. 
That's all you do. That's the easy life. You know, if you want to, say for instance, I want to phone somebody that I haven't spoken to for a while. I don't say, well, I phone him because I haven't spoken to him for three months. So now I feel it's my responsibility as a pastor to phone him. I can't live like that. Because then, if I have, then when, when the real need to call him is there, I will not call him. Because I, I have called him already. You know, three times. So if I've called him three times, that's more than enough. And you start to live a, a life based on a works orientation. Instead of a life where you just experience who Christ is in you and you live from there. It sounds to our carnal mind very difficult to apply this in the real world. But I want to tell you, it works. It works. I'm experiencing a big change in my life when it comes to these things. You know, even at the airport, at the, the last day, you know, I got, I got stressed. Because my flight that goes out of um, New York here... Now, that's a big flight. You don't want to miss that flight. If you miss it, it's a big thing. Because they only fly one flight a day, or once every second day. So if you miss that one, and the next flight is booked full, you can stay there another three or four days. Where do you stay? You're going to stay in some hotel, okay, at a thousand rand a day. Okay, and you need to eat, and you need to get places. It's going to cost you a lot of money. They're going to waste just for that. And then, if you miss that flight, maybe they don't understand why you missed it. So, I, I, I took a domestic flight. That flight was delayed. So, I said to Helena, listen, we need to organize now already. Tell those people that I'm not going to make the flight and the whole thing. And I got tensed up about this whole thing. And... You know how it works. It, this is the way your mind works. Listen, you've worked for a month. And you've worked very hard. So that means you are tired. And that means you're stressed out. And that means you've got a reason to be stressed out. In my heart, if I must be honest, in my heart there was something else. In my heart there was something saying, you're going to make it anyway. I felt it in my heart. You're going to make it anyway. Which was God's grace working in me was God's grace working in me. I don't want to become legalistic about it, but as I feel that work in me, and when there was this mixed mindset, you know, the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God mixed in me, this mixed gospel, basically, in the practical things of this world, I, I became angry with a inner rest. I don't know how to explain it. Have you ever experienced, even now when you get into grace, you, your finances, you look at your money, you stress about it, yeah... But deep inside you feel a rest. <laughs> deep inside you feel it's actually rest, but the cognitive mind wants to stress. Yeah. Under the Lord was the other way around. Deep inside you were stressed. <laughs> but with the mind you can confess the right verses. <laughs> and so the mind is kind of at peace, but deep inside there's an underlying stress. So um, it's, it's basically the other way around. And I just think that um, what, God, what the enemy wants to do is he wants to tempt you to think legalistically about this whole thing and not follow that inner peace that's inside your heart already, born from God. Because that every person gets. The moment you start to believe in the gospel of grace, that's what you get. Everybody gets that. It's like my kids going to university. I know inside my heart I'll be able to pay for all of them. I've even got a feeling in my heart I'll be able to pay cash for all their 
studies. That's the feeling I have in my heart, okay? But when I think with my mind, then you can start to think of different, a different rule system. And the idea is to follow the inner peace which God has given. So what happens is when we are in the gospel and when we continually hear the gospel, what happens? Our mind is saturated with the love of God so that it doesn't easily think of, meditate and ponder upon the law system. But your mind and your heart gets flooded with grace. And you're not tempted to go back under the works-orientated system. The moment we get into that work-orientated system, we're not tempted to get angry. We are now a slave of anger. You're not tempted to fear. You become a slave of fear. You're not tempted to think negative and gossip. You become a slave of it. You cannot stop it by your willpower. The only way to stop it is to get the root out, which is an unbelief or a wrong belief. Okay, we're going to look at the verses on that quickly. Let's go to James. I think you have the verses of 1 Peter 2.11. It's 1 Peter 2.11. Okay, let's go there. First Peter. Thank you. No, that's not that's not the one. No, sorry, I'm James, sorry. What who's it with my hood? <laughs> one Peter two eleven. Yeah, this is it. And, and this is a very a powerful verse. It says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against your soul. First Peter two verse eleven. Dear beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust. Now, what is fleshly lust? You know, the moment we hear it, we think with our legalistic mind. What he says here is, abstain from a place where the flesh is activated in your life. Get Get away from a works righteous mindset. Because it will bring forth all kinds of evil desires in your life which war against your soul. Let me explain that. This is how it works. You, you hear grace in church here today. Or you watch on the web, you watch grace. Hallelujah, God loves me. Hmm? Now, you think legalistic about the car, for instance. What happens? You lose your temper. Is Christ angry with you? No. Is God angry with you? No. But now that deed starts to war against your soul. You start to find that you've got to think all the time, well, I am forgiven. I am the righteousness of God. God is not angry with me. God doesn't hate me. You know, I am not far from Him. And you've got to reprogram yourself or just continue to think of this, that God's not angry with me even though I'm a sinner. Okay, God's not angry with me even though I make a mistake. Now, it's like a war inside you. It's something will tell you, well, if Jesus loves you and grace sets you free, why do you have this in your life? And then you will have this constant battle. And this is what he says in Peter here. You know, I found, <laughs> the next time I'm going to talk about that, you can find that you had a fairly holy life when you were under the law, by willpower. Then you get into grace, you find you've begun fluxus and matruus. 
Huh? You lose your temper more than ever. Because what happens is, under the old, you were not allowed to lose your temper because then you were unsaved. Now you know you are saved even if you lose your temper, so let loose. <laughs> and I'm telling you now, there's a phase of that in everybody's life. But I also believe that, that, that Paul was giving us wonderful keys here to have a quality of life. If I lose my temper, I'm not going to lose my peace. I know that the thing I've done will war against my soul. It will tell my mind, yeah, you know, you're under grace, but look at the fruit of the flesh in your life. But I'm not going to yield to that. I, there's only one truth about my life. It is the truth of Jesus Christ. Amen. But I'm not going to yield to fleshly lust. What means yield to fleshly lust? Yield to the desire to go back to the law. Yeah. Because when you go back to the law, the fruit of the flesh is a given. Yeah. It's a given. It shall be in your life. Okay? And you know what? I, I hope you hear what I'm trying to say. Because you can think that I'm trying to bring the law on you. But this is not law. Yeah. This is not, I'm not even, I'm not trying to change your behavior. This is not behavior modification. This is an explanation of how the enemy actually tempts you. Yeah. Because the tempter in the Garden of Eden didn't tempt Adam and Eve to steal. He didn't tempt Adam and Eve to sleep with someone else. There was no one else. He didn't... He, he, didn't, he, he tempted them, he tempted them to, with a change of belief. That's where temptation comes in. Temptation comes in when you are drawn away by an evil desire. Okay, James chapter 1. Look at this now. James 1, um, I want to read, just find verse 12. Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he is tried or proven that proven as righteous, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Okay, I, I, that will take 10 minutes to explain that verse. Verse 13. Let no man say, when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. It says here, God cannot be tempted with evil. The word evil there, uh, you, you know the word evil, there's, there's, a, there's a definition that says evil is to be full of labor and annoyance. The word evil here, according to Strong's, uh, uh, according to Thai word definitions, means a different way of thinking. A different platform from where you reason. Okay? God cannot be tempted with that different place from where you reason. But man can be. But God will never tempt you to think differently. God will never tempt you to start to think legalistically about yourself. God will never tempt you to become sin conscious. He will never tempt you with that. He says, but every man is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desire and he is enticed. And when this desire has conceived, it brings forth sin. You see what he says there? We're not, we're not tempted with sin. We, are, we, we, are, we get to a place, and the context of James here is Jews that were persecuted for the gospel's sake. 
So they were persecuted for the gospel's sake. Even like the Hebrews, they lost their money because they believed in the grace message. Nobody wanted to do business with them anymore. They were going through hard times. And when they were going through these hard times, it was not God bringing it on them. It was people bringing it. And when they were going through those hard times, there was, they were tempted to be defined again by prosperity. Because the Jews believed the richer you are, the more chance you have to be high up in the messianic reign when Christ returns. That's what they believed. So now they were tempted again. What does the enemy do? The enemy just wants to tempt them to start to think like a Jew again. That's a temptation. And when that desire for that old way of living, that old law being justified or finding, identifying your life in a works righteous thought pattern or belief, when that is conceived, in other words, when you receive that as the way, then it gives birth to sin. And sin gives birth to death. It can completely destroy us. That's what it says there. So what do we do? We realize how the enemy tempts. If you read in Luke, it says, Luke 4.13, I think it's 4.13. Let's just have a look there quickly. We, we, we have a look at Luke. Amen. <laughs> um, yeah, Luke 4.13. Let's have a look at that. Luke 4.13. We look, this is the temptation of Jesus. Luke 4.13, it says here. Verse 12, it says, And Jesus answered and said unto him, it is said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. So what is the... Uh, and the Bible also calls him the tempter. Okay, I think that's in Matthew. Let's just go and make sure about it. In Matthew 4.3. So when the devil has had, had ended all his temptation... Matthew 4, 3, look at this. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If you be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. So the tempter is the enemy, the devil. How does he tempt you? How did he tempt Christ? He tempted Christ to think of himself. He didn't tempt Christ to go, and I've said this many times, he never tempted Christ to say, believe in the Ten Commandments even. He didn't even tempt Christ to say, you know, forget about the Gentiles or anything like that. He tempted Christ just to find this one law in his life. This is it. You are the Son of God if you can do a miracle. You see, even in, 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 the, in, the, in the preaching of the gospel, in the grace world, if you want to call it like that, we started to think that the law is the Ten Commandments or the law is the Old Testament writings. The law is not the Old Testament writings. It's a part of our belief every day. That's actually got nothing to do with the Bible. Jesus' temptation was to think that He is the Son of God by doing a miracle. To think that He's the Son of God by jumping off the temple. Isn't it? 
He's the Son of God by this. He's the Son of God by that. In the same way, we've got different things that's different to every person's life every day where we are defined by things. That thing, when it entices you, when it grabs you, it gives birth to sin. Let me use an example Um, in church, in my life. Say I say... You are def- I'm defined by the amount of people that listen to my website. Yeah. Or I'm defined by <coughs> likes on Facebook. It's very stupid, but I think, you know, it, it can grab a hold of you. Imagine I'm defined by that. You know what I'll do? Out of that, I will find a strategy that comes forth that will bring more likes. And I will look at other people that have more likes than me and free from my own will, but me being enslaved, I will start to look at negative things about those preachers. So why do they like him more than me? Because that law will bring forth all manner of concupiscence and sin to manifest in me. So the the idea is not... Not to speak negative about another preacher. That's not the idea. The idea is to believe the truth about yourself. And you will find you are not enslaved to those things anymore. So temptation is never, well, I'm tempted to go and eat a a big piece of cake. The devil is not worried to tempt you with chocolate cake. doesn't keep himself busy with those things. You know? If you've got a a system inside yourself that says, if I had a hard day, I need a reward. You know? You'll eat a lot of cake. (laughs) Especially if you had a hard day. (coughs) Instead of having peace, listen, if you wanted, you know, then you can have it. You don't have to have a hard day to have a piece of cake. You can have it whenever you want. The moment it happens like that, there's no more problem. The whole Nikki about the thing is over. If you can have it whenever you want, there's freedom. But if you're actually not allowed to have it, but if you've been without something, you've deserved it, you're always going to find a reason why you deserved it. And then a nice thing like a piece of chocolate cake is going to become your enemy. Can you believe that? That something as wonderful as chocolate cake can become your enemy. You become enslaved to chocolate cake. (coughs) Simple. There's a simple explanation for everyday life. We've got to end off. Let's go to uh, 1 Timothy 6 verse 9. Another practical example. So... Oh, let's, let's read first, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. This is going to bless you. And then we're going to end off with uh, Timothy. And I want you to, I want you to understand me and, and those that watch, watch via the internet. We don't want a life where we always live. Am I under the law? Am I not under the law? Am I under the law? Am I not under the law? We don't want to live like that. That will destroy you. What we do is, our focus is not even to try and define if we're under the law. Our focus is to think of the gospel. 
The reason why I teach these things is because it's written in the Bible as a way for our cognitive mind to understand that that will bring death so the mind naturally will only look at the finished work of Jesus. That, that's it. That's how simple it is. And I found that in my life, you know, it naturally comes up, you know, when I, if, if I, if I know this way of thinking um, about, say, uh, I deserve because I have worked. No, you don't deserve, be, be, you don't deserve to rest because you've worked. You can rest whenever you want. Yeah. That takes the whole bite out of the thing. That takes the power of you always tired out of the thing. Many times we, you know, you want to, a lot of us, I mean, even myself, we need some vitamins and stuff. But many times there's this thing of, in us, if you've worked hard, you deserve a good rest. Or if you've worked hard, you deserve a holiday. You know what happens? You think of holiday all the time. <laughs> but if you know you can go any weekend away if you want. If you know, you, if, if, it's like say with me, I'm a pastor. Then I, listen, listen to this mentality just in my life. I come from America. Okay? I've worked there. I've worked very hard. I come back, I'm tired. That I don't want to sleep until 9 in the morning. Because there's something in me that says you can't. Because what if somebody comes to my house and I'm asleep, asleep half past 9 in the morning? Now for a grace preacher you're not supposed to even think of worrying about that. But my mind tells me. Because I've been taught from small, this is the law. Yes. If you sleep later than 6. <laughs> I'm going to say this in Afrikaans. Hans hier leeg is it not? This is what it is. You're lazy. That's what you've been taught. That drive, 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 drive. You can't take a nap between one and two, even if it's your lunch. Because you're lazy. Sleeping equals lazy. Sleeping doesn't equal rest or refreshing. Sleeping equals lazy. Sleeping, does, sleeping between 1 and 2 for 15 minutes does not, does not mean, in, in, in my mind, I don't know about your mind, in my mind, for the way I've been brought up, I mean, my father was a hard worker. He, he now, to give you an example, at the age of, I think he's 63 or 65, he's got a piece of road 200 meters from the tar road to his, or 250 to his house. He wanted to make it a tar road. It was a dirt road with mud and stuff. You know what he did? He went to the town council when they broke up another tar road. He told them to dump it. Or he bought it. I think they gave some to him. They dumped that pieces of tar, blocks like that. They dumped it right there where the tar road, where his road to his house starts. Now remember, he's 60-something. His knees is a problem. His back is a problem. He took all of that at that age and crushed it with a hammer. 36 cubic meters. That's six big truckloads. Okay? He crushed it with a four-pound hammer until it's loose. Then he took a wheelbarrow and he worked all of that into the road. Now imagine how he was when he was 38. Imagine how he was when he was 38. 
and I was in the house. Yeah. And I, I just got one thing in my mind, you work. That's all you do. <laughs> I mean, the, the, he worked. I remember I, I was six or seven. My mom took him food to work at the sawmill. He worked at a sawmill. He worked for seven days without sleep. Seven days. On the seventh day, he came home. He said he's very tired. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I laughed at him. They had this thing on television where they had this big shovel, you know, and they've got a competition of who can load the most coal in five minutes. So the guy was loading coal. And my, my dad said, I wonder who comes to take us to Leibach. So <laughs> I can't say that in English, though. Yeah. Why is this guy so lazy? But he's the worst, fastest coal loader. You know, so, I mean, you get with that mindset, you can't sleep in the morning if you're tired. I need a law. I'm, I'm just using practical things that you can understand how these things work. I need a law in my life. Well, I've worked very hard, therefore I can sleep until 10 in the morning after I've been away for a month. But I'm the head of this ministry. I can sleep whenever I want. The consequences will just be on me. So if I want to sleep, I can. There's nobody tells me what I can't, can or can't do. But I can't do it. Why? Because of that mindset. And what happens now is, you don't sleep and you think of sleep all the time. You never rest. Well, when, you, when your mind can identify, but there's a wrong belief. You know, you, you start to believe the truth about yourself. You be believe, man, you know what? I am not identified by what time I sleep in the day. I can take a sleep, I can take a rest if I want. If somebody comes here, then Elena says, my husband sleeps, you must come later. And that's as simple as what it is. And I don't have to go to America to do it. Imagine you must travel to America to take a nap in the morning. <laughs> You see, we, 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 we bombard ourselves with so much stuff because the enemy just wants to tempt you to get into, into a legalistic thought. Because once that happens, now I find I'm grumpy. Because the fruit of this thing is being grumpy. I'm grumpy. Then I think, oh, you know, I'm a grace preacher and I'm even grumpy. Mm. Grumpiness, I bind you. <laughs> it's not going to work it's not going to work you're going to bind it and bind it and bind it and you know what you're going to do then you're going to go into ancestor worship because you're going to go into what did my great grandfather do yeah. now the Freemasons yeah. listen to the Freemasons stuff must be all broken down they must bulldoze the United States yeah. <laughs> That's what they'll have to do. Just leave them. And you start to get so legalistic, you start to find, you start to look for faults where there's no fault. Where the simple thing is the enemy has got nothing to do with us, only in this to tempt us to get into the system that will kill us. After, you've, after you're in that system, he's finished with you. At the next guy. He leaves you because you're already in the cycle of death. It's like throwing a, a, a rock off a cliff. You don't push the rock while it falls. You just leave it. It will hit the bottom. In the very same way, just get it over the edge. Getting into this legalism is just getting you over the edge. That's all. That's how the enemy tempts us. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. 
it says, There has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. What does common mean? It's everywhere. It's like my wife says, when we buy a car, we don't buy a common car. That doesn't mean it's not an expensive car. And it's like a, a Fortuner, you know, it's a very good car. It's one of the most reliable cars that you can find. The only problem with it is, it's common. <laughs> You've got to hit that little thing to see which white fortune goes clink, clink, so that you can know it's yours. <laughs> so we, we're not going to buy one. We'll buy an Audi A6, which is not that common. So that's how we are. In the very same way, common temptation, it means a temptation that's everywhere. No temptation has overtaken a man but that which is common to man. What is this temptation? You get tempted by the tempter to get into works righteousness in some area of your life and then you find the fruit of the flesh having its natural, natural way in you. And then we look at the fruit and we define ourselves by the fruit and it destroys our lives. And then you work at your works. <laughs> That's the worst thing you can ever do. I read it again, 10 verse 13. There has no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation always make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. So in other words, when you're in that time, you know, when that, that legalism comes your way, what do we do? God provided a way of escape. What is this way of escape? It's the grace gospel. That's the way of escape. So when you're in a place where you find that legalism, let's take me for instance now, you know, with the way I was brought up, what I believe about sleeping in the morning. He provides a way of escape that I can bear it. So in other words, what does it mean? When it comes, I'm not going to be defined anymore by that because I've seen the truth. Even if I never knew what was the wrong belief, if I just know what the right belief is, it will automatically end the wrong belief. The moment you feel guilt come into your heart, you can know there's something wrong. God doesn't work with guilt. Guilt is not part of the throne room reality. Guilt is the fruit of a wrong belief. doesn't matter what you believe wrong, it's just... In that time, you say, God, when I want to go to bed, I feel guilty. God, when I, when I want to eat, to eat a piece of cake, I feel guilty. I feel guilty. That thing will destroy your life. So thank you, Father, that the truth about this, whatever I believe, will manifest by me simply hearing the gospel, your gospel. And every area of our life, we find the simple truth that we apply. Friendship, for instance, this church... You know how a church can destroy a pastor or a business? Well, Bertha, you know, if you, don't, if, if, if you don't get your people, you know, to change, what kind of an example are you as a grace preacher? That's a law. Right there. It's a law of I, what I preach is defined by how my people live. It will destroy me and you. Because I will all of a sudden just become works orientated and I will sit with this, this uh, uh, micro change kind of a thing. Everything in your life will be, uh, when I go to your house or when you speak to me, I will hear what's wrong so that I can get you to live right. 
and you will not want to be here. And you will, you will feel death coming to you because sin consciousness grabbing your heart. Let's look at a practical one that Paul named, and we end off with this. First, um, First Timothy 6, I think it is. Verse 9, it says, Let's read verse 8. It says, But having clothes, food and clothes, let us therewith be content. But they that want to be rich fall into temptation. Do you hear this? <laughs> I put, you know, I, I just, all I did was I took this verse and I copy and paste it on Facebook. You only get about 30 likes. Not 130, 30. <laughs> Listen to this. But they that want to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which draw men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Okay, now what does he say here? They that want to be rich fall into temptation. So in other words, if there's a thing in you, I want to be rich. You will easily fall into the temptation where the enemy will, find, will, will use a law concerning money and put it in your life so that you will work that principle and will kill you. You will fall into many foolish and hurtful lust. The other day I spoke to people, I said, you know, this pyramid scheme thing, you know, it can only work for you if you want to be rich. If you say, all my needs are already cared for in Christ, doesn't matter what the need is. If God puts in vertebrates a need to preach the gospel to everybody on the planet and it will cost me $20 million, then good. It will be met. I don't have a desire to be rich. The desire that is in our heart is just to have, the desire in our heart is this. It's born from Him. He puts in my heart the request. I make this request known to Him, and He's going to bring it forth. You know, through that principle, all my needs are met. Whatever I would have, even if it is a need to go on holiday. The need to go on holiday was born from God, and He meets it. The need to be a giver. If there's a need for you to be a giver, guess what? Make it known to God, He'll give you the money to give. Hallelujah. It's like here. Yeah, I felt there's a need for us to bless some people that struggle in the church. Then we, we make it known to God. I told you people about it. In you, the, inside you, there are people with a desire for it. We put a box on the table. People give. And we help people. As simple, that's how simple it is. I don't have to have a desire to be rich. Because if I give you, if you've got this desire to be rich, why do you have a desire to be rich? No, no, because we've been taught we must be rich. Oh, okay. Why? No, but because then I can do this and this and this and this. Then I'll be able to sell the tithing and sowing and reaping teaching to you. And you'll fall into many hurtful and destructive lusts. So in other words, what's going to happen is, you're going to be, you're going to invest your money in the pyramid scheme. And the pain, bro, is going to be painful. There was now in Malmesbury a guy, he must be in the news. I think he stole 1.8 billion rand from people. There were people there that put in 10 and 15 million rand with this guy. Pyramid thing. 
And then the people say, look at that, who scallum this guy is. No, no, no. <laughs> you know you can't get 15% a month or 15% a week yeah. on your money. 15% a month, where? Where must the money come from? Some of those people, 30% a month is what they promise you. You put your money in that thing? Why do you put your money in that thing? Because there's a desire to be rich. That's why. No, get out of that, man. Get your money out of those things. Rest. In, I've got a father that will provide for me. And you make your need known to him, he'll provide for you. Not say you can't invest your money somewhere. Do it, you know, but not from, I must be rich. This is my, my only chance now. You see the practical thing that Paul writes Timothy here? Very practical. Those that want to be rich will be easily tempted by the devil to fall into the law. Once he's fallen into the law, what's the end of it? Sins or the fruit of the flesh. What happens? Grumpy, shouting at home, shouting at the customer, not even getting business anymore. And then getting into all kinds of things. Then eventually this thing grabs you so much, you get into gambling, you get into this, you get into that, and the end you don't know. And that doesn't make you a bad person, it makes you a victim. You're a victim of sin. Not your sin, for it's not you who sin. But you've been, you gave into the temptation of becoming legalistic minded. And people, we need to understand these things, man. Is there any questions? So somebody doesn't understand something. Any questions? If it's on the internet, you'll have to write me, and then I will next Sunday answer. Are you hearing? I'm saying you must become. I'm not saying you must get legalistic concerning your actions. No, Paul, when he used actions, what he was saying is, this is the action of him that thinks wrong. And he mentions it. He says, those actions, by, by living that way where this actions is, you can never experience God's quality of life. Eternal life. You cannot. Now we are believers in Christ. Why do we only want to apply grace for going to heaven? No. It's effortless to go to heaven. He's done it. We know it. We rest. How much more should it be effortless with much smaller things? like the manifestation of His life in us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So there's only one temptation that's common to man. And God provides the, the escape out of that. The escape out of that, we thought it's dodging somehow. We didn't even know, understand the verse. But the escape there is the correct belief. He provides you the correct belief. To the Jews it was, you're not defined by money. That was the escape. That was the escape. You're not defined by money. You're not defined by circumcision. You're not defined by acceptance or rejection. The escape for the Jews was you're not defined by Deuteronomy 28 verse 1 to 15. That was the escape provided by God. Making it bearable even when people take your stuff and don't want to do business with you. What's my escape? What's the escape for vertebrates in what I preach? You know, when I was... When I speak to some people, some people say, Bertie, I, I believe what you believe, but I can't say it. Because if I say it, I'm going to lose this, I'm going to lose this, I'm going to lose this. 
But I, my heart, I wish I can just say it. But I'm so deep. Like some say to me, Bertie, we've, you've started in grace. We started in the law. Now we've got a church with 600 people. And now we must, we must go over. But, you know, into grace. But we sit with... We, we can't afford the church to take a dip in finances for two months or three months. Then they're going to sell us out. And we're going to be in the news. This church couldn't pay their stuff. They're going to close us down. You know, I, I wish I started the right way, but now it's so difficult. We've got 10 pastors in this church that need salaries. So there's, certain, uh, there's a certain way of thinking, a, a law way of thinking. And the law way of thinking is, it's very bad if you can't pay your stuff, and there will be a bad word about the church, and, that, and God cannot handle that. Listen, you don't have to think that. Preach the truth, and if it closes down, glory to God. At least you're not sitting with something that's killing you every day. Amen. And people aren't being killed every day. I spoke to a pastor, I really end off now, I spoke to a pastor yesterday, he's got a church of about a thousand members in Johannesburg. He took the church from, from law to grace. He listened to some of my stuff, he took it over. The church took a big dip financially, massive, you know. And then he phoned me, he said to me, Bertie, I really believe in grace, but can't I preach a tithe just a bit? Because this month, we really, really, I, I mean, there's some pastors not good getting, getting their money. I ha, I'm not getting my salary, proper salary. The, the second child doesn't get his salary. It, it's a problem. I said to him, now, how are you going to live with yourself? I said, you know what the truth is. How are you going to live with yourself? He said to me, I can't. I, I will not be able to live with myself. I, you see, he was tempted to go back under the law. He was tempted with the idea of, you know, there, there was many things that worked in him. And the conclusion would be, it will give birth to sin. Sin preaching the tithing and sowing and reaping message. He didn't give in to it. Yesterday I spoke to him, this is now a year later. He said to me, Bertie, it's going so well with our church. We don't have a place to seat everybody. He said, we've got more money than ever in history of the church. And... If I must go over from law to grace, I wouldn't do it in any different way than what I did it. You know what he did? He stood up in front of everybody. He said to people, listen, I want to tell you something. About everything I ever taught you, you can't believe it anymore. It was a lie because I was deceived. That means you also deceived and now we're going to walk this thing together. 280 people, 250 people left this church. Of which the rich was the first to leave. And then he preached grace, grace, grace. The one guy came to him and says, if you say the word grace once more, I'm going to vomit. <laughs> but today, look at it. It will bear the peaceable fruit of righteousness in our lives. Amen and amen. Father, I want to thank you that you love us dearly. I want to thank you that you care for every person here. I want to thank you, Lord, that uh, like you said to Peter, pray lest you fall into temptation. Like your word says, when we're rich in the word, we can resist temptation. Thank you, Lord. When we're rich in the gospel of grace, it's not easily to be tempted into the law. Thank you, Father, for your unconditional love towards us. Thank you, Father, that we can live in freedom. Thank you, Lord, that our bodies is made available as instruments unto the manifestation of your quality of life, free from human effort. You're not a sin-conscious God. 
You're a God that loves us, that's invited us to live from the foundation of I am and not I'll become. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Freedom for me is I'm not defined by the size of ministry. I'm not defined by amount of money in my bank. I'm not defined by health and prosperity and all those kind of things. I'm defined by you. Thank you for that freedom. And so there are people here that I thank you, Lord, that they can have the absolute peace of your love for them and that they can hear your gospel in every area of their life. I thank you, Father, as Peter prayed. I pray over these people and over myself. I thank you that grace is multiplied. It's not only applied towards salvation one day and immortality, but it's applied to every area of our life that we can see your holy influence upon our lives whereby you live your quality of life in us that we can say as what Paul say as we are already saying it is not us who live but Christ who lives in us thank you Lord that we are not even defined by having every area in grace we have we defined by who you are thank you Lord amen and amen, amen. thank you so much guys God bless